turn in your Bibles with me to Judges chapter 6. We're going to study this person named Gideon. And I have a couple illustrations here today. I love that song, God is Good All the Time. And if you didn't hear, we got the, we got the donuts for free today. I had this idea last night. I was thinking, you know, people are so bitter. They're so angry. It's like they got sour grapes. They got just everything set on edge, you know? And I'm like, you know what our church needs? We just need a little, little sweetness, a little sugar, a little sweetness. Like uh, Mary Poppins said, a spoonful of sugar makes the medicine go down in the most delightful way. And, uh, and so there's something nice about sugar. And you know, and what the, what's interesting is that the Jewish people, when they would teach uh, Torah to their kids, when they're very little, they would give them little bits of honey while they would memorize the scripture. Because when you have the sugar in your brain, it helps lock in the scripture in your memory. Makes that word sweet. Isn't that, isn't that good? The Bible says, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. And so it's good that we remember the sweetness of the Lord. And if we ever find ourselves being not so sweet, guess what? We're not reflecting the character and nature of Jesus. So, even when other people aren't sweet, we need to be sweet. Ooh, but you're like, oh, Pastor, that's hard. Yeah, it is hard. <laughs> it's hard for me, too. But you know what? It's, it's a mandate for me as well. We're all supposed to be kind, loving, gracious. Jesus said, they'll know that you're my followers because of your love for one another. So I don't care if you're a Democrat, a Republican, an anarchist, uh, a libertarian. If you consider yourself a Christian, guess what? You have to be loving. You have to be forgiving. It's a mandate. It's not a suggestion. It's a commandment from, God, from Jesus. Love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. These are not holy suggestions. These are commandments. But, but I don't like that. Well, tough. I've, I guess I'll say it three weeks in a row. This is his universe. If you don't like it, go get your own universe. And Amen. let us know that how, how that works out for you. you. You don't have your own universe. This is his place. And so he gets to set the rules. Tough, right? Wow. Well, people just, they just bow up against that. My own human nature, my sin nature bows up against that. God, how dare you ask me to do something I don't want to do? <laughs> well, last time I checked, Wayne, I'm God and you're not. Oh, dang it. He's right again. That's the thing about God. He's never wrong. And you can't pull the, guard, the God card with God going, God told me. He goes like, no, I didn't. Have you ever noticed people playing the, the God card? Because there's nothing you can say after they pull the God card. You're like, well, I guess the Lord told you to leave your wife and children and run off with your secretary. No, he didn't. Yeah, so God told you to embezzle all the money from your company and and uh, and buy a bunch of cars. Uh huh. No, I don't think God told you that. God is not confused. God does not contradict Himself. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. His word doesn't change. His character, his personality doesn't change. You're like, ooh, I don't like that. Tough. <laughs> there are things about God's commands that I find burdensome, and yet we're commanded not to make them feel burdensome. We go, no, this is not a hardship to do what God says, because in the end, it's helping me. It's better for me. Yeah. 
And so we find this character, Gideon, in Judges chapter 6 is where the story picks up. And I, there's a lot of parallels. It's so crazy as I've been studying these characters of the Bible, how it lines up with what's happening in America while I'm preaching every week. And it's like, oh my goodness, this is perfect for this week because Gideon lives in a time of turmoil for Israel. Everyone is going a million different ways. No one can remember Joshua or Moses anymore. All the old guys are dead. They're worshiping idols. They've forgotten the Lord their God who delivered them out of Israel. They're doing bad stuff. They're totally ignoring everything about God. And the prophets say, it's because you, you've disobeyed. It's your, it's your idolatry that's causing this to happen. And until you repent, it's only going to be like this and get worse. And Israel was in trouble because they were ignoring God. America, you're in trouble when you ignore God. You're in trouble. Your idolatry is killing you. You're making other things more important than God. Guess what? He will not take second place to anybody. He's either first place or he's not on the list. Whew. Ooh, I don't like that. Tough. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I didn't write this, okay? I'm just teaching what, what it says. You have to submit to his authority, period. So Gideon becomes Israel's judge. And this is, this is in the years following Joshua's death. And so you got you to gotta imagine what's happening. The Israelites are being bullied by the, by the bullies on the block named the Midianites who have enslaved them. They're taking all of their stuff. As soon as an Israelite had something nice, the Midianites would swoop down and take it. Like you had a nice donkey, they'd just take it. If you, if you had a pretty daughter, they would just take her. If you had grain in your silo, they would take all your grain. If you had a wine press and you were pressing wine, they would take all your wine. So Israel is hoveling in caves, trying to hide from the Midianites any amount of stuff that they have. And Gideon is, is hunkering down in a wine press, treading grain. Now it's kind of a bad place to tread grain, but he's trying to hide the grain from the Midianites so they don't take his bread. They don't take his, his flour for making bread. And so <laughs> an angel appears to, to Gideon in the wine press. And Gideon doesn't recognize it as an angel from the Lord at first. He's just like this strange guy. And then suddenly, as time leads on to its way, we start to realize, oh, this is an angel of the Lord. So this is where we pick it up in Judges chapter 6, verse 11. Then the angel of the Lord came and sat beneath the great tree at Ophrah, and he be at, which belonged to Joash, the clan of Abiezer. Gideon, son of Joash, was threshing wheat at the bottom of a wine press to hide the grain from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, Mighty hero, the Lord is with you. Now, get this. Imagine that you're hiding in your basement doing your laundry. <laughs> and an angel shows up and says, Mighty hero. <laughs> I'm, I'm hiding and doing my laundry. Right? So Gideon, Gideon says, and he doesn't know it's an angel at this point. Sir, Gideon replied, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? And where are all the miracles of our ancestors told us about? Didn't they say the Lord brought us out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and has handed us over to the Midianites. And then the Lord turned to him and said, go in the strength that you have and rescue the people of Israel from the Midianites. I am sending you. Whoo. 
<laughs> then Gideon replied, this reminds me of Moses arguing with God at the burning bush. Gideon replied, how can I rescue Israel? My clan is the weakest in the whole tribe of Manasseh, and I'm the least in my entire family. And then the Lord said to him, I will be with you. Gideon, it's not about how big you are, it's about how big I am. I will be with you, and you will destroy the Midianites as if you were fighting against one man. Gideon replied, if you are truly going to help me, show me a sign to prove that it is really the Lord speaking to me. <laughs> and he says, don't go away until I come back and I bring an offering to you. So Gideon goes and gets the groceries. He makes a little offering on a stone, puts it before this angel. That's really the angel of the Lord, probably a theophany and an Old Testament appearance of Christ or of the Trinity. And he answers with fire. As he brings this offering before the angel, the angel touches it with the staff and the fire comes up from the rock and consumes the whole offering. He goes, huh, yeah, good trick. I don't know how you did that. Maybe you are the, representing the Lord. Maybe there is something supernatural going on here. So God answers with fire. God, God is in the fire all, over and over again in the Bible. You see him, you see him being the fire with Moses and the, the fiery bush. We see him being the fire by night and the cloud by day. We see the Holy Spirit descending on the church in the book of Acts as cloven tongues of fire on the top of every head. We see the Shekinah glory of God appear between the cherubim and the Holy of Holies as a fire. There's something about the fire. And when God comes to judge the earth again, he's not going to do it with a flood. He's not going to do it with water. He's going to do it with fire. Fire represents judgment. People don't like that kind of talk, but again, I'm not going to lie to you. I'm going to tell you what the book says. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> You're welcome. Because I need it too. I learn a lot by studying this book and I go, wow, God, that's who you are. And they were, they were worshiping these idols. They were, they were setting fires to these pagan gods, the God of Asherah and the God of Ashtoreth and Baal. They're sacrificing their children. That was their form of abortion back in the day. If a, if a woman didn't want to have her baby, she would have the baby and then sacrifice it to Baal or sacrifice it to Molech or sacrifice it to Ashtoreth or Ashtoreth. We're living in wicked times. We think that we're so progressive and we're so advanced and we're so much beyond what all the people in the Old Testament. No, we're not. We're a lot like those people. We're a lot like those people. God answers with fire. And so <laughs> Gideon goes, okay, maybe you're with me. So maybe what I'm going to do is I'm going to tear down my dad's idols on, my, on, our, on our land. Like if God's really real, maybe we shouldn't be worshiping Baal. So he and some of his buddies, he goes, well, not in the middle of the day, because everyone's going to be really mad. We're going to tear down this Baal idol in the middle of the night. So he smashes this idol to Baal on his dad's property. And all the people that would come from around the village to worship at Baal in the middle of the day, like, hey, who smashed our idol? I think it was that no good son of yours, Gideon. And I love Gideon's dad, Joash, how he responds. He says, he says to his fellow Israelites, he's not really like, he is not totally on board with what Gideon says, but he says this, why are you defending Baal? Like, hey, aren't we Jewish people? Why are you defending Baal? Will you argue his case? 
Whoever pleads his case will be put to death by morning. So Joash is like, this is my boy. You're going to lay a finger on him. And what, by the way, why are you defending a foreign god? If Baal is truly God, let him defend himself and destroy the one who broke down this altar. Isn't Baal a powerful God? Can he, de can he defend himself? What does he need you for? <laughs> Good to have a dad like that, huh? Then from then on, Gideon was called Jerob Baal, which means let Baal defend himself. Jerob Baal is the other name of Gideon because he broke down Baal's altar. That was just the beginning of the story. Gideon goes, wow, Whew. God was with me. Guys, we, we made it. This, this house, this land, this belongs to God. God is with us. Baal can defend himself. And the God, I, the God that we're worshiping, he's the real God. He's the real deal. He is the one who split the Red Sea. That's the God. That's the real God, everybody. So Gideon starts to really start believing in, in the one true God. And he asks God for a sign. Get into Judges chapter 7. Gideon said to God, If you're truly going to use me to rescue Israel as you promised, prove it to me in this way. Put a wool fleece on the threshing, I'll put a, I'll put a wool fleece on the threshing floor tonight. And if the, the fleece is wet with dew in the morning, I have a, I have, I have a little, this is Louis's lammy. This is, this is, this is his little lammy toy, okay? Gideon, Gideon had a fleece. He put it on the threshing floor. He says, okay, God, if this is really you, make the fleece wet and the whole, all the floor dry. And so that's what happens. That's just what happened. Verse 38, when Gideon got up early the next morning, he squeezed the fleece and he wrung out and, uh, and made a whole bowl full of water. And then Gideon said to God, please don't be angry with me, but let me make one more request. Let me use the fleece for one more test. This time, let the fleece remain dry while the ground around it is wet with dew. And so that night God did as Gideon asked. The fleece was dry in the morning and the ground was covered with dew. The first point I wanted to say to you is this. We have to start seeing ourselves the way God sees us. Gideon saw himself as a weakling, as a nobody, that he was the least in his tribe, least in his clan, least in his family. How in the world could God use him? Stop seeing yourself the way you see yourself and start seeing you the way God sees you. Mighty man of God, mighty hero, the Lord is with you. Start seeing yourself the way God sees you. And then the next num number two, Gideon, Gideon called for confirmation. <laughs> the fleece was like, hey God, are you sure? Beep up, oh, beep up. Yeah, God, you there? Oh, you are. Oh, you really do want me to do all this. I'm supposed to not only tear down the altars, but we're supposed to get the Midianites out of our country and set the people free? Sounds a lot like Moses. Tell Pharaoh to let my people go. Gideon said, God saying to Midian, you get Midian out of here. You're not going to worship their gods anymore. You're going to, you're going to serve me. You're going to be a deliverer for Israel, just like Moses was. Isn't that amazing? And of course, he needed reassurance, like, because I'm a nobody. I, this is crazy. I need a sign. God goes, here's your sign. Here you go. Wet fleece, you got it. Dry fleece, you got it. Fire, I'll consume your sacrifice. Yeah. What else do you need, Gideon? I'll give you whatever you need. Ask me. 
The Bible says, ask of me and I'll give you the nations as your inheritance. That's what he said to Abraham. And we as children of Abraham, spiritually, we can, we can ask God for what we need and he will give it. You're his favored son. You're his favored daughter. Jerub Baal. Let Baal defend himself. When God is with you, no one can stand against you. So Gideon defeats the Midianites. Uh, chapter 7, verse 1. So Jerub Baal, that is Gideon, and his army got up early and went as far as the spring of Herod. And the armies of Midian were camped uh, north of them in the valley near the hill of Morah. Now, this is kind of an interesting valley. In Israel, it's actually the valley of Megiddo where it's prophesied that one day Armageddon, the battle of all battles, the battle of the end of the world, is going to happen. And my uh, wife and I have been to this place. Mount Moriah is right there where Elijah called down fire from heaven with Elisha. You can see the, they call it the breadbasket of Israel because it looks like the farmland of Wisconsin or Minnesota. It just goes on for miles and miles and the soil is black as dirt. You, they grow everything there. It's like a garden. And, and it's there's perfect humidity there. There's a fountain there this, that that this next part of the story happened. Thirty-two thousand Israelites show up. Like we're with you, buddy. Let's get rid of these guys. <laughs> Cannot stand being under the thumb of the Midianites. Whatever you decide to do, Gideon, we're with you. Let's do this. It reminds me of this little phrase that some of you, if, if I know some of you are familiar with Davy Crockett. Crockett used to say this, and he had, it, he had it over his senator's office in Nashville when he was serving as a senator in the U.S. Senate. Over the, the door of his office, it said, go ahead. And the fine print said, make sure you're right, and then go ahead. <laughs> in other words, if you know you're right, if you know you're on good standing, a good footing, you know God's with you, you know your cause is just, go, go do it. What are you waiting for? Go on ahead. He, he tells so many crazy bear stories. He fought in the Cree Indian War. He fought in so many, in the War of 1812, he fought with General Jackson for the Battle of New Orleans. Crazy stories about Davy Crockett. Of course, most of you know he died in the, in the Battle of the, over the Alamo for the independence of Texas. But make sure you're right and go ahead. Can I tell you? That's how. That's the formula for us as Christians living through this pandemic during times of political upheaval. Just make sure you're right. It's okay to be controversial. Just make sure you're on the right side of the controversy. <laughs> make sure you're right and go on ahead. Be loving. Be gracious. Be kind. Be forgiving. If you, if you messed up, say you're sorry. Don't be too good to hang out with normal people. Do all the things that the Bible says to do. And then go on ahead. Don't live in fear. Like Gideon. Don't be afraid. You got this. The Lord your God is with you. You have a righteous cause. Go on ahead. I'm with you. So these 32,000 Israelites show up in Judges chapter 7. They come down to the spring. And God says, hey Gideon, you got too many guys. Too many? What are you talking about? There's 135,000 Midianites. We're already outnumbered six to one. Come on, God. I have too many that we're outnumbered. What are you talking about? He goes, no, no. If you win with this many guys, they're all going to take the credit. He said, look what we did. Man, we totally kicked those guys. They, we, they, they'll take all the credit. They'll forget me. 
You got too many guys, you gotta weed them out. I only need a few of these guys. So Gideon goes, and this is a terrible strategy. If you're ever a general in war, don't ever do this. Like on paper, this is a terrible, terrible, terrible military decision. He says, if any of you are scared, you can go home. How do we know that two thirds of the army will leave? D-Day would not have happened if Eisenhower had gotten on the horn and go, oh, by the way, guys, we got a few boats going home. If you're scared, you don't have to fight the Nazis today. Yeah. Wouldn't have happened, right? And the guys that would have remained were like, nah, not today. Not today, Ike. Right? Thankfully, he didn't say that in World War II. And we had a just cause then. Right? But this is what Gideon says. Too many guys. <laughs> too many guys. If you're scared, God says there's too many of us. Go on home. So they lose 22,000 of them. Now there's only 10,000 versus 135,000. And God goes, no, no, I'm sorry, Gideon. You still have too many. Whoa. Too many? What are you talking about? We're outnumbered 14 to 1. Like 13 to 1. God, this, this is nuts. Still too many? He goes, yeah, go down to the brook. Go down to the pool. I got a special, I got a special trick. I want, you to, I want you to see who's really crazy enough to fight with you. We're going to judge. You take some of your lieutenants with you. I want you to see how they drink out of the water. So if they get down on the water and they drink, drink straight from their face into the water without looking up, get rid of those guys. But if they get down on their knee and they scoop up the water like a cup and they're looking around and they drink, those are your guys. Only 300 of the 10,000 drank like this. You know what I think drinking like this means? Your head's on a swivel. You're ready for anything. You're not afraid, you're aware. You're still getting the water, but you you know what's happening. Those are the 300 that were crazy enough to go with Gideon to fight 135,000 people. That's 250 to one. 450 to 1. Thank you, math mathematician. Had a girl. No one would make odds at Vegas on that, right? No. Not for more than a buck. <laughs> like, wow, wouldn't it be amazing if I won? <laughs> right? And yet, this is, these are the odds. Because, Gideon, I'm with you. Really? Really? 300 against 100. That's two mile-high stadiums. Full. With 300 guys this is crazy and so and of course it's it is crazy and Gideon again he come he asks he asks God for confirmation he calls for confirmation he goes God there's no way the 300 guys can kill 135,000 guys and we were watching the documentary last night of this spot in Israel where he was at the mountain looking over the valley and it's a gorgeous place, but I'm sure when you see 135,000 people and there's only 300 of you on top of a hilltop, you're like, so I guess we're gonna die tomorrow. That's pretty much what's gonna happen, right? It's been nice knowing you guys. <laughs> he goes, no, you're gonna, you're gonna win. If you go across the river, I'm gonna show you something, Gideon, and you're gonna win. And he goes, okay, okay, God. So he, Gideon takes, Pura, his lieutenant, and they sneak across the river and listen in to one of the tents of the enemies of the Midianites. 
And one of the Midianites has a nightmare. He has a dream. And the dream, he dreams of a loaf of bread that rolls down the hill and smashes the camps of the Midianites. And Josh and Pura are listening at the tent. And this guy woke up and his friend in the tent says, this can only mean one thing. It means that Gideon, that rebel, he's going to kill everybody in this camp. And Gideon and Pura hear this. They go, that's the sign from God. We got these guys. I don't know how this is going to work. This is absolutely crazy. But we're just going to go in the strength that we have. We're going to do what the Lord tells us to do. And so <laughs> they go. They split their group of 300 guys into three groups of 100. And he says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go with your torch in a pitcher. And you're going to hide the torch until the last second. You'll, have, you'll be strapped with your sword. You're going to take a ram's horn. You're going to take your pitcher and your torch. Like, the, this is how we're going to kill 100, 135,000 people are going to die because I have a, a musical instrument and a flashlight. Okay, now I am crazy. He says, no, this is how you're going to do it. You're going to surround the camp with your 300 guys against 135,000 guys. And... When I give the signal after midnight, after the changing of the guard, I want you to take your pitcher, smash it on the ground, and say a sword for the Lord and for Gideon, and then blow the ram's horn. Like, okay, you got that everybody? Split into our groups. Ready? We're surround the camp. Let's do it. So I'm going to do it right here. Ready? There you go. Fire. Imagine that's real fire, okay? A sword for the Lord and for Gideon. Oh, you hear that echo? That was awesome. Yeah, that was so cool. So, as you can imagine, this is a valley. The horns blow from all sides of the camp. Midianites see everything's on fire. And you have to understand the Midianites were tribal. They were like... 20 different tribes of different people with different language groups dressed different ways. They, none of them trusted each other, but they were going to fight the, the Israelites. So they started killing each other because they thought rival tribes within the camp were fighting amongst each other. So they started slicing each other. And Israel just stood back and watched them slaughter each other. When confusion struck the camp, they're like, okay, now it's time to back clean up everybody. And they took out their swords and they just started slaughtering all the remainders. 300 guys eventually throughout a day and a half of, of battling killed 135,000 of the enemy. And Israel was free because of flashlights yeah. and, a, and a musical instrument. God can confuse the enemy. It's what he did at the Tower of Babel. And that's really what he, I think, he can do to deliver us. The enemy, he's the author of confusion, but he doesn't see confusion in himself. He doesn't understand that God can confuse even his own forces. And so, I, I love how Gideon gives wise answers. I love in this story that the third point here, if you were writing it down or trying to keep track, is to be selective about picking your leaders. 
Be very selective about picking God's team in your life. Not everyone can take the journey with you. Not everyone is supposed to take the journey with you. God is a select group of people that are perfectly fitted for you to go along with. And the others will go to the wayside. And of course, a lot of those people were really angry at Gideon for taking the victory once he had. All those guys that went home, like, hey, we wanted some of that plunder. We wanted some of that gold you took from the Midianites. Hey, you, you cut us out. Only 300 of you guys get to share all the glory. You got to save us. It made it all political. And then Gideon gives a wise answer. So the people of Ephraim ask Gideon, why have you treated us this way? Why didn't you send us when you first went out to fight the Midianites? They would have he argued heatedly with Gideon. And then Gideon gave one of the wisest political answers I could, you could ever imagine. He says, what have I accomplished compared to you? Aren't the leftover grapes from Ephraim's harvest better than the entire crop of my little clan of Abiezer? God gave you victory over Arab and Zeb, the commanders of the Midianite army. What have I accomplished compared to that? When the men of Ephraim heard Gideon's answer, their anger subsided. He basically said, you guys are great and I'm nothing. I know I happen to be the guy that God used, but you're amazing. And they're like, yeah, we are. Yeah. Thanks, Gideon. I said, people just want their ego stroked a lot of times. And Gideon knew that. Gideon knew it was all about pride. He knew it was all about who got the credit, right? People are so worried about who gets the credit. You need to stop worrying about who gets the credit. You need to stop worrying about who gets the glory. There's only one worthy of glory. Amen. And it's God. And so Gideon goes on to do this. He obeys God completely. He wipes out the enemy completely. He even destroys some of the enemies that, that he could have spared, but because, because of the, the, the evil things that they had done to friends of his, to allies of his, he said, he said, if you hadn't killed them, I wouldn't have to kill you, but now i got to kill you. He didn't show any mercy. This is the Old Testament. This is before Jesus showed up on the scene. The rules were different back then. And then we see a sad chapter in Gideon's life. He, at the end of all of this, of course, they're killing all the surrounding Ishmaelites who always wore the nose rings, earrings, armbands of gold, lots of gold. They'd collected all this gold. Can you imagine how much gold and jewelry 135,000 people are wearing? Like if you just go to Mile High, think about all the watches, all the jewelry, all the earrings. Uh, they would just, they made a huge pile of gold. And he goes, and Gideon, can we do anything for you? And he goes, will everyone just give me one earring? <laughs> just give me one earring. Like, sure, no problem. <laughs> Here's an earring from my pile of stash. Here's one earring. The, his collection of earrings from all the soldiers was 45 pounds of gold. And then Gideon does something he shouldn't have done, but he did it. He turned that 45 pounds of gold into a golden ephod, a priestly hat. And they began, the, the idolaters in, in, in his part of the country started worshiping the ephod rather than worshiping the God who gave him victory. They built an altar to the ephod. So the idolatry didn't stop. And so Gideon obeyed God completely. And, and they, they say to him here in verse, in verse 22 of Judges 8, they, the Israelites say to Gideon, you be our ruler. 
You and your son and your grandson will be our rulers, for you have rescued us from Midian. But Gideon replied, I will not rule over you, nor will my son. The Lord will rule over you. However, I have one request that each of you give me an earring. So he, would, he took a tax, but he's like, no, I'm not supposed to be king. God's supposed to be the king. He was wise enough to know that. But he makes this ephod. Verse 27, Gideon made a sacred ephod from the gold and put it in Ophrah, his hometown. And soon all the Israelites prostituted themselves by worshiping it. And they became, it became a trap for Gideon and his family. And that is the story of how the people of Israel defeated Midian, which never recovered. Throughout the rest of Gideon's lifetime, about 40 years, there was peace in the land. Isn't that an amazing story? Yet there's more life lessons here from Gideon. The fifth and final lesson here is that you should not make idols out of your religion. Because the ephod was a priestly garment. It was something the, the priests of the Lord would wear as a symbol of God's holiness. But instead of worshiping God, they're worshiping the garment. And yet we think, oh, that's so primitive. How in the world could they worship a hat? No, no. We do the same thing. We religious Christians do the same thing. We, we got to be careful not to make the Bible an idol. Some people make biblical purity more important than, than God himself. They elevate chapter and verse Bible teaching more important than loving people with the love of Christ. Or they use the Bible as a tool to beat people up with because this is biblical. No, no, whoa, whoa, whoa. Do we worship the Bible or do we worship the God of the Bible? There's a difference can't make the Bible into an idol. And we can't make a doctrine or a denomination into an idol. A lot of people say, well, I'm Catholic, well, I'm Baptist, or I'm Pentecostal. Oh, no, that's my thing. You know, and then you, might, you make your particular pet doctrine or your per particular denomination into an idol. That becomes more important than God himself. Your way of doing Christianity is more important than God himself. That's, that's a pharisaical religious mindset. It's idolatry. Some people make their worship experiences an idol. They're chasing from one revival to another. Gotta go to that worship conference. Gotta go to that thing. I gotta go get the, 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 the butterflies, the chills. I gotta go flop around on the floor and feel the Holy Ghost. Oh, wait a second. No, wait. Are you worshiping the experience? Or are you worshiping the God who gave you the experience? Are you trying to reproduce some kind of experience you had so you can feel the butterflies and chills again? Or are you trying to worship the one true God who gave you those experiences? Maybe you'll never have another experience like that ever again. Maybe it was a miracle and special because it was only happening one time. Don't turn experiences into an idol. Ooh, I know this is good preaching because it's getting quiet. Yeah, way good. Yeah. And don't make education or accomplishments into an idol. A lot of people say, well, if I just get that degree, or if I can just become important, if I could just become the president, or if I could just become the CEO of this company, if I could just become the head of the HOA in this neighborhood. <laughs> Come on, somebody. <laughs> right? They're like, oh, if I could just accomplish this, if I could just be, be somebody, then I could do something. Well, Gideon was a nobody, and he knew it. He didn't turn this accomplishment into, into some kind of idol to be worshipped, and yet that's what he did, did with the ephod in the end. Became a, a stumbling block, became a hindrance to the rest of his family, became a trap. That religious spirit can be so destructive. 
And finally, of course, and I'm going to speak to the issue that's at hand right now. People are up in arms about the mask wearing. If you wear a mask, you're good. If you don't wear a mask, you're bad. Or vice versa. If you wear a mask, you're anti-freedom. Give me a break. First of all, who made you the judge over me? And who made me the judge over you? There's only one who's the judge. And that's God. We must not make an idol out of political views or con personal convictions. We can make our personal views and convictions into idols. More important than God. Well, I'm justified in ripping this guy because you know what? He's doing the wrong thing. No, not if, if you, you can still, you can be right and still be wrong if you don't do it in love. And if you're not reflecting the love of Jesus, man, this is good preaching. Amen. This is the word of God. And so what I've been going to over and over again in these last few days, especially since the mask mandate went into place in our state and going into place around the country, is Romans chapter 14. And I'm just going to read it. And I'm not even going to give you any spin or my opinion. I'm just going to read it and let you hear it. I may have some strategic pauses, but I want you to hear it. In context of the mask mandate, Romans 14. The danger of criticism. Accept other believers who are weak in faith and don't argue with them about what they think is right or wrong. For instance, one person believes it's all right to eat anything. Another believer with a sensitive conscience will only eat vegetables. Those who, who feel free to eat anything must not look down on those who don't. And those who don't eat certain foods must not condemn those who do. For God has accepted them. And who are you to condemn someone else's servants? Their own master will judge whether they stand or fall. And with the with Lord's help, they will stand and receive his approval. In the same way, some think one day is more holy than another day. While others think that every day is alike and you should be fully convinced that whichever day you choose is acceptable. Those who worship the Lord on a special day do it to honor him. Those who eat only who eat any kind of food do so to honor the Lord since they give thanks to God before eating. And those who refuse to eat certain foods will also want to please the Lord and give thanks to God. For we don't live for ourselves or die for ourselves. If we live, it is to honor the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. Christ died and rose again for this very purpose, to be Lord both of the living and of the dead. So why do you condemn another believer? Why do you look down on another believer? Remember, we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For the scriptures say, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bend to me and every tongue will declare allegiance to God. Yes, each of us will give a personal account to God. So let's stop condemning each other. Decide instead to live in such a way that you will not cause another believer to stumble and fall. I know and am convinced on the authority of the Lord Jesus that no food in and of itself is wrong to eat. But if someone believes it is wrong, then for that person it is wrong. And if another person, another believer is distressed by what you eat, you're not acting in love if you eat it. Don't let your eating ruin someone for whom Christ died. Then you will not be criticized for doing something you believe is good. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of what we eat or drink. 
but of living life of goodness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. If you serve Christ with attitude, you will please God and others will approve of you too. And so then we must aim for harmony in the church and try to build each other up. Don't tear apart the word of God over what you eat. Remember, all foods are acceptable, but it is wrong to eat something if it makes another person stumble. It is better not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything else if it might cause another believer to stumble. You may believe there's nothing wrong with what you are doing, but keep it between yourself and God. Blessed are those who don't feel guilty for doing something they have decided is right. But if you have doubts about whether or not you should eat something, you're sinning if you go ahead and do it. For you are not following your convictions. If you do anything you believe is not right, you are sinning. <laughs> we got a few watchers here too. You know, God created us to be with him. He wants everyone to know him and to love him. Gideon really entered into a relationship with God through a divine set of circumstances when he was right-sized and said, I am nobody. God, <laughs> you want to use me? And God's like, yeah, you. You're just the guy I want. Maybe you hear a sermon like this and you're like, well, God's so big, I don't want to bother him. You know, he's got other fish to fry, other things to think about. You know, he probably doesn't even think about little old me. Yes, he does. He loves you so much. He desires for you to draw near to him. He wants to have a friendship with you. He's not too big to know your name and to care about you and to love you. He's got the very hairs on your head numbered. He loves you so much. But I'll be honest with you. And as I've shared in this message already, our sin separates us from God. God is holy. And you can't come to a holy God any old way you please. You have to say, God, please forgive me. I was wrong. Will you please cover me in the blood of Christ? I turn from my sin. I want to follow you. And if you're unrepentant, if you say, no, I'll do it my own way, then this isn't for you. And you can't have the grace he offers. And unless you repent, you will perish in your sins. The Bible says that very clearly. You're like, oh, that makes, oh, I don't like it. Tough. Get your own universe. It's how it works. Law of gravity is real inconvenient too when you're at the top of a cliff. But you know what? It'll kill you if you don't obey it. I love you guys so much. I hope you hear my heart on this. This is not a word of judgment. It's a word of love. The most loving thing I can do is to tell you to turn from your sin and turn to God. I want you to know God. I want you to love Jesus. I want you to receive his love and his forgiveness, his grace. Your sin separates you from God. And you can't pay for it your own way. You can't just do God any way you please. You got to come on his terms, not on yours. Your good deeds will never outweigh your bad deeds. It's a grace gift that God offers. He says, here, take it. With my Lordship comes forgiveness of all your sins, every evil thing you've ever done and forgiven for all time, adopted into my family. It's pretty great to have everything you've ever done forgiven, every wrong thought you've ever had, every wrong thought you're going to have. You've been adopted. 
And when he comes in, he starts to change your want to. The desire of your heart begins to change. Paying the price for our sin, Jesus died and he rose again. So everyone, black, white, rich, poor, fat, skinny, Jewish, Gentile, doesn't matter who you are. If you'll come to Jesus and believe that he is, he will reward you with forgiveness of your sins and a deep friendship with God. Everybody, everybody, anyone who will listen, you can have that life, that eternal life, and it begins the moment you say yes to Jesus and lasts for all eternity. Maybe you want to share this with a friend who doesn't know the Lord. If you forward this to someone maybe who's been far from God and just remind them, say, hey, you know what? I believe God loves you. This gospel stuff, it works. I'm living proof it works. Will you pray this prayer of salvation with me, church, for those who might be praying it online? I think everyone here in the park today is a believer, so I'm not gonna worry about you all, but I'm worried about those who might be watching. Would you say this simple prayer? Say, dear Jesus, I'm sorry for my sin. I'm sorry for going my own way. I've made other things more important than you. Please forgive me. Thank you for dying on the cross. For dying in my place. Please come into my heart. Be my savior and be my Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer, I'm so very proud of you. Can we give a hand to people who are saying yes to Jesus? Yeah. If you'll do that, if you'll walk in relationship with Jesus, your life will never be the same. Thank you so much for tuning in today to the ministry of Summit Church and the daily outreach of Wayne Hansen. You can support our ministry in many ways. Click the donate button on our Facebook page, Summit Church of Castle Rock. Visit our webpage, mysummitchurch.com, and click the online giving link. Or mail your donation to Summit Church of Castle Rock, 200 South Wilcox Street, Box 243, Castle Rock, Colorado, 80104. Or finally, text your gift to 303-625-9434 and follow the prompts using your smartphone. You can also support us by connecting with our online community. Comment, like, share, follow, and subscribe on our various social media channels. Of course, we appreciate you joining us in daily prayer. I'm Sean Rima, and on behalf of Pastor Wayne and the Summit Church family, take care and have a great week. Remember, God loves you, and he has a wonderful plan for your life.